0: Welcome back to The Francesca Show. This is a Jewish Coffeehouse podcast. Today, we will not have the regular intro and music. Instead, I'll share with you how I've been. I'm so broken. My eyes have been swollen for the last three days. I happen to have watched every crime show out there but I could not bring myself to watch any of the videos being posted, shared. The horrifying broadcasting of barbarism and cruelty. I've been hearing lots of stories, each one sending me back into a state of uncontrolled tears. I cannot look at my kids without feeling crushing heartbreak, for the babies ripped apart from their mothers, put in cages, families murdered in front of each other, with the drunken terrorists laughing in their faces. All the orphans, widows, widowers, the elderly, hostages, captives, innocent lives. Are we hoping that they're still alive? Is that hopeful? That would mean that they're being tortured all this time. And the thought of that is so devastating. Devastating. Women being raped, shoved into cars, stolen, killed, overkilled. The body mutilation. I'm crying for every family member. The live, the mourning, the praying, the hoping. The people hoping for a safe return of the missing, of the taken. I'm crying for every mother, wife, father, child, brother, sister. Everyone who sent a soldier into battle. I'm crying for every heartbreaking story. Every act of kindness. Unity. Every story makes me feel connected to my nation. I've never felt this much of a need to be connected. I went out to the rally here in Philadelphia last night with my sister, and it was so comforting to see so many people, so many people of other faiths, so many parents of soldiers, all standing together, united, standing with Israel. I spent this Chag with family, with my sister and brother-in-law, who just had a baby. And today's guest is my brother-in-law, Avraham Shannon. I hope this episode helps you feel connected more invested, united. At the end of the episode, you can go into the show notes and listen to my 2015 release of My Misha for the Chaylem for the soldiers. I found that music has been extremely powerful for me, a way for me to connect, to connect to God. It's been very tough to pray but when I listen to music, to Nagonim, to all those prayers in the tunes, I can feel connected. I can gather the strength to pray. Welcome to the Francisca show. Today with us, we have Abraham Shannon, also my brother-in-law. I am very sad to have you on here under these circumstances but you are still very welcome. So welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much. Uh, I wish it was in uh, better circumstances, but. uh...
0: Let's take a moment and just tell us from your perspective, what happened? How did you experience what happened? Just give us a little background of who you are
1: um, so I'll start with who I am. I am Freddy's, uh, Francisca's brother-in-law. My wife is Franziska's uh, sister, Esty, who has been on the show a couple of times. I served, uh, in Gaza about a decade ago. I, um, finished my military service in May of 2012, and before that I was on the border of the Gaza Strait for almost two years in a couple of uh, roles. At the beginning, I was in the combat engineering corps of the Northern Brigade. And I was working on the barriers that we... It's to say today, but that we were working on preparing for any and all attacks by Hamas. And after that, I joined the deputy of... Maybe I shouldn't go into details exactly, but I was in... I was working with the officers of the brigade. I know the area pretty well. Everything I see on the news, I like, literally recognize know where things are, where the kibbutzim are, where the, uh, the bases are, what they look like from the inside, from the outside. So it feels very close to home.
0: You're not in Israel right now.
1: I am not. No, I I moved to the US of A in September 2016, following my wedding. Also, after I finished the army in 2012, then I moved to my reserve uh, unit. Is actually not in Gaza. I was not planning on going back there, not on uniform anyway. And no, now I live in in Philadelphia.
0: Well, welcome to our city. Let's move on to the events in the last few days and catch us up. And I'm sure everyone's following already, but take us through how you've been receiving the information.
1: The first time I heard about anything was when I got to Shul on Shabbos morning. I saw the guards, security guards in Shul, are talking to a few members for congregates, and I heard something about Gaza and an attack, and so I leaned in and I and I asked, "What's going on? Like, is there rockets attacks? What's going on?" And the security guard said something about a war that Netanyahu declared war or something like that. It sounded weird. And then I think he or one of the group that said something about twenty or twenty something dead, and I found it very, very interesting. I mean, not in a good way because usually, you know, from from. Thanks to the anti-missile uh, systems like Iron Dome, there are no casualties. Definitely not in the, two, the double-digit area. So it was weird. I, I fear some like that's that's different. Like something else happened. Uh, and then a few other comrades came who had more information, and they said that terrorists took over towns in Kibbutzim, and that was that was like I I, I don't exactly know how to. Uh, uh, it was like you know the, the the horror show, the the nightmare that you knew that may happen, but you never thought that that would happen. But I heard that and I said, okay, that's why it's twenty dead, and it's not twenty; it's much more. I mean, if they took over towns, if they took over Kibbutzim, this is not not only is it something else; it's it's something from an entirely different world, something that we don't know. Definitely, somebody like uh, like me, you know, mid thirties. It doesn't make sense, these words, they took over towns. And ever since then, it was just like, you know, another person saying something. Uh, uh, and my parents were here in town for the birth of my son. So when Mati Shabbat, when it was not a uh, hug for them anymore, they basically gave us a more complete picture of the hundreds of deaths. I think back then it was there, it was still talking about three or 400 or something like that. And I just read on the news that uh, we're talking about 900. That was how I found out, uh, but I can say this very early on. Once I heard those words, they took over towns, taking over towns. That's and, and it, they're not playing around. They come to for for one purpose and one purpose yeah. only to kill as many as possible as, as fast as possible. And so uh, I remember telling my dad, and I told him it's going to be in the in the four digit. It's not going to stop in the like. I, I hope it will stop in the three, in the you know in the triple digit. But taking over towns. That's these words just keep on echoing in my head.
0: So I know we discussed this over Chag, but how could this happen? I remember you saying you served on the Strip. There was no way for Hamas or terrorists or individuals to get through. How did this, could this happen?
1: So without going into too much detail, back when I was in active service, back then, uh, essentially the way it worked was that there was a range of 300 meters uh, from the border which, if there was a crossing of, and I'm not talking about the border, I'm talking about 300 meters from the border in, like towards Gaza. And if anybody crossed that, we would have been, and we as in senior officers in the Northern Brigade of Gaza, just so that people understand that the, the Gaza Strip is split into Northern and Southern. So we were on the Southern side. Then it would immediately like call for, you know, everybody's phones would ring. There's an infiltration or, or attempt. And then we had very clear orders to, well, not not me, because I wasn't on the border as a trooper, but the troopers would call the, the officers asking for permission to shoot for the legs if they got to, I think, 250 or 200 meters from the border. And they did, many times. Many times there were stories and they were very cruel. Also, back then, they would send, you know, their, their I'm not going to be politically correct, they're retarded people and their are imbeciles to the border to see how we react. They were testing us over and over and over again, different places. And many times we would actually shoot them, or if not shooting them, then we would, you know, isolate them. If we saw that it was, you know, again, if we were able to see if that it was, for example, you know, a, a disabled person, for example, uh, mentally or physically, we would try to like just isolate them and, you know, and arrest them essentially. And many times, Again, it's funny to say it today, but many times just returned them into the Gaza Strip. But yeah, like we, you know, there were a few attempts to actually infiltrate. But not only that, there were also many forces in the, the Strip. There were permanent troopers and tanks on the border, like waiting a call, waiting, okay, if anything happened, if anybody was somehow successful in, in infiltrating we read again those troopers who shot those people or and, and we had tanks and uh, wherever we would once I don't know every other time we would uh, we would go and you know and, and check on them and see and, ch- and check the tanks if they're ready if they're you know if they're alert and the troopers and combat combat engineering course
0: so what happened here was it because it was in gestora that it was understaffed is it because of the political situation? that has been going on and the reserves haven't been showing up for duty?
1: So it's hard to tell, especially because, uh, you know, I haven't been in the army for My last reserve service was uh, like eight years ago and it was not in in the Gaza Strip. so, So it's been over a decade since I was there. I'm in active duty and I do not know what changed, if anything changed at all. What I do know are two things. The first one is that for some time now, and I think probably over a year, maybe even over two years, that this 300 meter, 200 meter rule was not enforced anymore. There were what's called in Hebrew hafsad, which is an acronym of sed, or you know, moderate name for for rioting on the border, and many dozens, if not hundreds. I don't know if you remember the the rage days and the yom ha, yom ha, whatever, the day of the land, the day of the this, the day of the that. They would uh, they would go all the way to the fence and you know and riot on the fence and try to uh, try to shoot, try to throw explosives, and it was. I don't know. I I don't know what changed, what, you know, what intelligence made it more acceptable. I have no idea. So that's one thing that changed. And the second thing that changed, which I'm not sure about it, but from what I understand, the things I saw on videos that were published by Hamas and other sources, uh, they were able to disable many of our technological facilities. So the cameras, there's, uh, there are basically cameras, you know, covering the whole border 24 seven, they were able to uh, disable some of them, there's a system called uh system that was supposed to even shoot infiltrators automatically, you know, without even human touch or human interference. And it looks like they were able to, uh, to disable it uh, beforehand, which essentially made it easier for them or very easy for them really to just get to, all the way to the fence, you know, tear it down, and literally just, you know, put their, their cars on drive, on D, and drive in. And as I say it, it sounds so imaginary to me. But that's that's the picture that seems to have, to have been happening.
0: And, and this is awful. I want to talk about the left, and I have no idea who's left in the left because <laughs> there's so many different lefts. You have the Israeli left, you have the American left. Talk to me about the responses that are happening and what does Israel need right now?
1: So first of all, I don't wanna go into the right and left argument or disagreement. I think in times like these we have, you know, when times like these end... okay, let me let me change to, the question. Uh,
0: People who are saying free Palestine, okay? And take it a step deeper, they're not even Palestinians. Take it a step further. Let's say they're queer. I saw a poster, queers for Palestine, right? And, and I'm thinking to myself, if they would just walk into Palestine, if that's even, you know, something they could do, th- they would be stoned for being queer. In what reality are they, is, uh, is anyone living when they're looking at, they call them militants, but they're terrorists who are barbaric people and saying, free them. Like, yeah. W- are, how are we talking to people with the same moral perception of the world? Isn't yeah. it, shouldn't it be very clear that evil is evil?
1: No, I get it. I, I was about to touch it. I understand what you're trying to ask. And my point is just that, you know, I, I go on social media and everyone I see who's trying like to, to say, you know, oh, we told you this, we told you that. I just like block. I I, I don't want to see it right now. I, it's not the time at all. What I do want to say is that, yes, the whole world, right, left, center, and And everything in between. Everybody sees the real face of Hamas, at least everybody who's actually looking. I see a lot of people who are not looking and they're just, oh, you know, Palestine blew, uh, they, they, they hit Israel badly and they're just, oh, awesome. Like we like the underdog and they don't go into details and don't understand what they're talking about. And you also have people who are evil. Yeah, really evil people who would justify everything and anything under the sun. Just based on which side or, or which sides are fighting. But what I do, what I can say is that there's an amazing unity right now in two, two senses. The first one is it was a very awful, awful, but powerful reminder of our very existence in this piece of land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean and what it means. And you know it's funny because israel that was founded to basically be a safe haven for jews like it's it feels like it's the most dangerous place place for jews in the world but i think we jews who live outside of israel need to understand that had it not been for the state of the existence for the state of israel it would have been much less safe for us anywhere else in the world another thing is that we are not the jews of 1939 anymore Neither us, nor the Jews who live in in Israel. We are not Jews who get hit and just say, okay, you know, we'll move. We'll, I don't know, we'll bow our heads. We'll find another, you know, friendly country who's willing to accept us for, you know, a few more generations. No, we are a different breed of Jews. This is true, both for the Jews in Israel and the Jews in the diaspora. And I mean diaspora as in not Galus Jews. But diaspora Jews, Jews who are, who may be Israeli and just happen to live outside of Israel. And I feel like most Jews in the world are like that. And those are Jews who hit back. Who Those are Jews who get up, get back up on their feet. Jews who retaliate, who seek vengeance on their enemies, on their apparently barbaric middle age, mid-age, you know, barbaric Nazi fascist and cruel enemies and that's why i, I said that i, do, I, I don't want to speak in terms of right and left right now because everybody understands who we're dealing with and what needs to be done and yes you still have so the one percent
0: testing mm-hmm. you're talking about the israeli really left and right i'm talking yeah. about the more western left and right or maybe more american left and right where you have palestinian protests pro-palestine protests right now in in England, in the States, you're saying everyone clearly sees. Are you talking about Israelis? And your wife just sent me a tweet of, in Israel, you have liberals standing there protesting, whatever they're protesting, Free Palestine, in the midst of all of this. So yeah. yes, there is tremendous unity right now and, and so much productivity and proactive energy that's coming out of Israel. However, I have to question and address all the other civilized people who are not seeing clear evil. How is that happening?
1: So my... These are uh,
0: educated people.
1: It's... Yeah, yeah, Everyone
0: needs to be condemning that we should not have protests. Would we allow pro-Nazi protests because it's a free country and we're Western and everybody deserves a voice? I think there are certain levels and certain lines we do not cross as a society. And this is one of them. And we need to see more politicians condemning. Right now, you cannot say pro-Palestine after they have committed acts of terrorism. We're not, they have lost that chance. They don't get to pull this card. And I don't understand why it's not clear.
1: So I agree with you. Like on the moral level, I agree 100%. I, I can't offer an explanation, a logical explanation, not a not an emotional explanation, but a logical explanation for for what's happening so you always have those crazy people like i said before who would justify anything and everything just to meet their prejudices and you know what they believed in before and they don't care they may have the worst things happen to their own family and they would still not let go of their of their beliefs and in a country of 10 million people almost eight of them eight million of them uh, jewish You will have a few that will go out to protest right after a thousand of their fellow Jews and Israelis were murdered in cold blood just for the sake of seeing blood. That being said, this is something that uh, I think that knowing it, seeing it, seeing that some people go that far, it's just, I I don't, it doesn't, doesn't threaten, for example, the way I feel. I just look at them and I see, you know, I, I look at them in pity, with pity and with and with disgust, and just let them let the whole world see how perverted their beliefs are. That's how I look at it, and I don't want to like shut them up. For example, like the and I'm talking about both the the crazy people in Israel, like the, it was like five people, seven people, I don't know how many. Protesting. And at the same time, you know, this pro Palestinian protest in in Times Square in New York, let the world see their faces, see what they believe in, see what they support. I'm a very big believer in unmasking. And this is the biggest unmasking on display. And those people, like I said, they're either ignorant, they don't look, they don't want to see, or they see and they don't care. And either way, it's their fault. Because You know, if you're a Nazi sympathizer, I don't care if you were misled into being a Nazi sympathizer or a Nazi yourself, or if you're chosen because you're, you're evil. Either way, I'm going to fight you like I'm fighting a Nazi. And I want to see, I want to know who's Nazi. I know, I I want to know who's evil. That's how I look at it. They just
0: have power and they're influencing people who have no opinions like young people. And you have groups of Muslims who are celebrating publicly death to Jews. And I'm not seeing enough condemning. I'm not talking about Islamic countries. I'm talking about Western countries that should not stand for it, that that, that should be condemning it. It should not be a democratic right. That This should be shut down. Okay, I yeah. want to move on to the next topic I want to address, which is, you know, we, we turned on our phones on Motzei Chag, Sunday night, And the post started going from, you know, the information we have been getting over Chag, which was the terrorist kidnapping, capturing cities, shooting into the festival. It went from that to fallen soldier, fallen police officer, fallen soldier. And you're seeing photos and videos of families sending off their family members and You could just see the entire country mobilizing and every family is sacrificing the idea of their family unity for, you know, every single family right now is risking. This is impacting an entire generation and the entire nation. Every single family is saying goodbye, not knowing whether their son, son son-in-law, brother, father, uncle is ever going to return home. And Talk to me about that. I know your brother was called up and you must have a conflict because you're here and you've mentioned how you you feel like you should be going back and fighting. Talk to me about that
1: um, yeah, that's a very a very hard point and I've been thinking about it since since I understood what was going on I've been thinking about it so I have a, I have a two-week- old son uh, Mazel and uh, thank you. <laughs> At the beginning, I was a little ashamed. I felt a little bit of shame. But yeah, I was thinking to myself, you know, I I, I just moved to a new house, and uh, I just had a son and you know, the Torah says, you know, like if you have, a, if you build a house, if you have a son, if you have a vineyard or whatever, you know, you're exempt. So first of all, luckily, if it's a milcham mitzvah, you're not exempt, nobody's exempt. But it took me, yeah, it took me a few hours to like just collect myself. And and say so, you know this the, the, like if i was in israel i think the the decision to to like uh, to just go and volunteer or to go when, when i'm cold would have been easier because you're there here it's a little bit harder because you know you actually need to to back up and go on a plane get a ticket you know it's harder it's not just getting into your car and driving somewhere but eventually i did like on Chag, well not immediately because it was middle of the night in israel but i waited until this morning and i called my officer my mem, which is uh, my department, I think it's called in English. Commander who didn't pick up the phone, so I called my uh, company officer, who apparently became, um, he was promoted since then, he was was a higher officer. So he gave me my new uh, officer's number, who told me that uh, basically there's a waiting list. He put me on a waiting list and told me, you know, if we need you, we'll let you know. There's already a waiting list of people like me from out of Israel who, who are willing to come. And right now he said, you know, don't call us, we call you. But yeah, it was it was a hard decision. I'm not going to say that, you know, I did it without a blink of an eye. It was very hard. You know, you have a family behind, looking at your kids and and it's a hard thing to have this thought. But the bottom line is this this is your this is also your family. This is your you know your extended family. And 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 you just you you need to do what you need to do. This is why uh, this is what I was trained for uh, this is what we this is the ultimate goal of life to protect those your your loved ones and uh, and if it means to yeah to live your life and to and to travel ten thousand kilometers to defend your country then yeah then if that's what it takes that's what you need to do
0: your grandfather sir correct
1: he served, so he was in the Lehi, in the English name for the Lehi. he fought for the Lehi, and he got injured in the battle over the old city of Jerusalem in 1948. And after that, he was a volunteer. So he volunteered for what's called Haga, which is Haganiz Lachit, or civilian defense, which is basically to help civilians in times of war. And he was there until he was, I think, into his 50s or maybe even 60s as an, an injured soldier. Or Veteran.
0: This attack is much more different than anything we have lived through. This is by far the biggest scale. This has been the most Jews killed in one day since the Holocaust. What does this mean for us in a historical point of view?
1: If you do the math, in the Holocaust, in the five years of the Holocaust, 1939 to uh, 1945, five and a half years, really, over 3,000 Jews were killed killed every day. And that takes me back to my point before. We are not the same Jews anymore. The 2,000 years from, or 1,900 years, let's say, from the rebellion of Volkochov in 132 to 135, which came after other two rebellions. Since then, you know, we've been Jews against our will. We were spread around in many countries, many times defenseless, moving around from one place to another. At the beginning, it was Babel. Then it moved to Europe, North Africa, and, and later to the New World. And every time we were, you know, we were never able or... And when I say able, I don't mean... Physically, I mean mentally, we were not ready to fight back. We were not ready to be a, a nation again. And this changed. This changed in you choose where you want exactly to put the threshold. If it was in the first Aliyot, the the religious Aliyot of the 1900s or the secular Aliyot of the early 20th century, or with the establishment of the state of Israel, whatever. The fact of the matter is We are not those Jews anymore, just the words of um, Menachem Begin. We are not a Jew with trembling knees anymore. And we, we fight back, we pursue our enemies, even our enemies understand that they can come, they can even kill hundreds of us, but they will be chased down and killed. And they will pay a very, very heavy price for it. And and I think that's a thing that, that we need to understand and we need to remember very, very well. Yes, this is the biggest hit we've absorbed since, what is it, 1945 to 2023, 78 years. But this is in contrast of how we reacted to 3,300 Jews being murdered every day for five and a half years. So if then we couldn't do anything, we couldn't even convince the Allies to bomb Auschwitz to stop the killing machine. Today, we are the retaliation machine, whether it be the soldiers in the front lines in Israel or here in Philadelphia, where we raise money and support and many people having children in Israel fighting right now in the front lines, in intelligence, everywhere, people working in tech, volunteering for cyber attacks, or for cyber defense, anything.
0: Doctors going.
1: Doctors, whatever, you you name it, anyw- anybody. This is, I think this is what we need to remember. This, This is what needs to give us strength, because, you know, in Simchas Torah, when we, we, on Sunday, when we already knew what was going on, it was, you know, 24 hours into knowing what's, you know, what's going on. I spoke actually with your husband, with Menachem and I told him, I can't, I just can't be in Shul. I can't, I, I can't do it. i thinking about the people in Israel and, and I'm here. And he told me, you know, exactly the opposite. He said, that's what we Jews are known for. In the face of evil, people found Lula van Esrug in the Holocaust, and they somehow had a Seder night. And they, you know, and they danced with an improvised Torah in Auschwitz. So if they could, we have to do it too. We have to continue. And thank God, we are so different from them. And this is such a different situation. And I'm saying this with all the sadness I'm feeling for all those who died.
0: Who were killed.
1: Who were killed, murdered, kidnapped, so brutally. I mean, I I don't know, maybe it was good for me that it was to still hug and I couldn't open my phone so fast, but I went through, I think, three or four stages of grief before I was able to act back and to see what I can do. And to pick up my phone and call my officer and, and pick up my phone and call the rabbi and see what we can do here in the in the community and pick up the fault my brother and sister in israel and, and ask them who needs what how can we help and, and i think that's what you know everybody who listens to this like that's i think what we uh, what the attitude should be okay you know there's a lot of room for grief but from this this grief we need to to move on to action to practicality how do we turn this around
0: it's been comforting to see so many non-Jews who are standing, who are posting, who are standing by Israel and supporting Israel and not questioning the whole crazy idea of the right to defend yourself. These words are disgusting. And I don't remember the exact words Michael Oren just said, but our our deposits in the bank accounts of the world of how much we're allowed to retaliate, that we're in the minus now us retaliating in a big way which is what's coming is is not putting us in a great light but that's what, how we have to respond
1: this is our time uh, you know some of us are more capable some of, some of us are are less capable but i think everybody should ask themselves at the, you know at this point what can i do and it could be as little as calling up your non non friend and explaining them the situation as simple as that And it could be sending some money to Israel somehow. You know what, even ordering a vacation for the summer in Israel. I'll I'll actually spend another minute about that. Sending any money to Israel is very important right now. First of all, just to support, you know, for many businesses right now are shutting down their doors for customers and only, and basically are drafted to the war. The only restaurants that only cook food for soldiers, hardware stores, only sending equipment stuff like that. So just, you know, supporting them, sending them some money. This is, this has a double effect, a it, just the direct effect of supporting financially, and also the shekel rate should be stabilized. It's, it's important that, that the shekel is not collapsing. And this is as important as, almost as important as a lot of other things. And yeah, so from anybody who needs to ask themselves, what can I do? Can I make a little bit of explanations to my neighbors, to people who, you know, who may see things on TV and they may watch some not very friendly to Israel media outlets and they think, oh, another round. And when Israel is also not very, you know, innocent. And no, to explain to them, no, we're dealing with a bunch of Nazis. That's the situation. They want to kill us. They want to murder us. And they have done it in the first opportunity they had. Now, I want to talk a little bit, just in one minute, I saw the reaction, even though I'm very skeptical and I'm very suspicious, the reaction of the other Arabs in Israel is interesting this time. Even they are shocked. The members of Knesset...
0: You're talking about um, Arab Palestinians uh, or Christian Palestinians, anybody?
1: No, I'll I'll give you two examples. So, the Israeli Arab politicians are not... So, one, one is condemning the uh, condemning Hamas, and another is at least, you know, saying uh, that they can't support it. Which is an interesting, and I'm not a big believer in their innocence, and I think that it's a lot of, maybe they also understand that they, they went a little too far this time, but I'm just reflecting what I see. And another thing I saw was an interesting post from an Israeli Arab, what we call an Israeli Arab, or an Arab who was a citizen of Israel, became a ceo of some tech company and he wrote a very interesting post saying how he used to call himself palestinian israeli first palestinian then israeli because he grew up in israel he spoke hebrew but he was raised on a palestinian ethos but after today he decided he cannot call himself a palestinian anymore and he calls himself an israeli because and his reasoning was that had those terrorists come to his Parents' house, they would have killed them too, and and they did. By the way, they, I, I think there are at least forty known Arabs killing, having been killed by the the terrorists from Gaza. And I do not, for a second, think that now all the Arabs in Israel or out of Israel or are suddenly changed their mind. But I do think that some of them have been woken up. What happened by what happened by by what. Total and Nazi hatred where it can lead and to what atrocities it could lead. And again, time will tell it if we'll actually make a change. But what's for sure is that the reality of yesterday is not what we're going to see going forward. You can already see what's happening in Gaza, where, in my opinion, it's only starting.
0: Just what's only starting?
1: So they're attacking in Gaza right now, and they're attacking hard, you know, in in an order of magnitude, a few times more harder than anything that came before. And, and again, because of this unity, because of this understanding that the enemy's face, the enemy's ideology is exposed to the world right now to see. Everybody can see whom we are dealing with and what they would do and what they have done once they were given the opportunity.
0: And they don't care that the price is more life.
1: They don't care. They, I saw another, you know, when you fight with people who are that evil, it doesn't matter what they think about the price or what their end goal is. All that matters is to not let them have this opportunity anymore, ever again. And the same way that the Nazis had to be completely brought to, to a full surrender and to a full annihilation of this ideology... The same thing should happen now. And that's, I think, this understanding, I think, dawns on many, many people right now, right, left, center. There's a big unity in understanding of who we're dealing with. Now, some people, of course, some people think that it's only the Hamas militants. Some people think that, okay, you know, maybe some of the Gaza population is also responsible in one way or another, but the understanding of what needs to be done is, I think, crossing almost all political parties and, and ideologies in Israel and even abroad. I heard from people with whom I worked in the past, reached out to me. One person from who's an American today, but who's from a country that is very unfriendly to Israel, basically called me in horror about what happened, telling me that in his own family, the videos were circulating and people were appalled. So I think the truth is out there. And, uh, and maybe that, that connects again to your question about those people who, those despicable people who will protest or, or go on, on Palestine, Palestinian resistance rallies in, in Times Square. Let them rally. Let the whole world see what the democratic socialists of America support behind whom they stand. Let the whole world see.
0: Oh, these are powerful words. Esti told me you wanted to say words of chizuk. You did say lots of words of chizuk. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we conclude?
1: I remember watching the movie, I think it's called The Last Hour. Uh, and that's about the beginning of World War II with uh, British troops in France, in Dunkirk, that were, who were evacuated. In that movie, there is the very famous Churchill speech that was reenacted in the movie. And he said there, we will not surrender. I think that's the message that needs to go out there for Jews, for not Jews, for everybody. same way that the, the British fought on our behalf in many ways, 80 years ago, against the evil Nazi machine. Now we fight against this evil Islamo-Nazi machine, and we will not surrender. So I'm not Churchill, I'm not even close, but I feel like his words are, are appropriate at this point. In the same way that they did not surrender, even their odds were much worse than ours, we will also not surrender and we will have our revenge.
0: One last question. Can you tell us a little bit about your brother and were you able to talk to him before he left for battle?
1: I won't go into too much detail. You never know who's listening. But Uh, yeah, I spoke with him. Uh, He's doing well. Thank God. They're preparing for whatever they need to prepare for. Morale is high. People have you know very high motivation and he actually gave me the idea to try like to support businesses because he told me about the hotel that they're staying in and uh, a local restaurant that just stopped serving customers not that there are many customers right now but they just open their doors and they cook around the clock for any any and every soldier who comes into their door and and yeah and the bottom line is it's amazing to see that a country that two minutes ago was fighting over religious issues in Tel Aviv and when the judicial reform happening or not happening, you see that this is all pushed aside and people, and I'm not talking about politicians, I'm talking about people on the ground, are uniting. Nobody cares if you went to the army, if you are not went to the army. If you pray with the Mechitzah, without a separation between, you know, if it's co or not, nobody cares. I saw a video of secular people from Tel Aviv going to Newak to collect food that was cooked by Haredi women. And I know that it's the most cheesy thing to say, or uh, but or corny, and but this is what this country is all about. People are hosting
0: um, strangers in their homes.
1: People are hosting strangers in their homes, and yeah, we and you know,
0: mothers are left alone with their children, uh, without yeah. school and without their husbands. And yeah. our hearts go out to everyone listening, yeah. everyone fighting, everyone uniting, everyone standing for what's right. And we should hear Bessarot Thank you.
1: Thank you, Francisca.
0: Thank you for listening, being with us here today. Do something kind for someone else. Really hope next week we will have more clarity, more hope.